Welcome to a new episode of the African Developers Podcast. I am Kesir, your host. My guest today is Savior Kirk Agbenyega. Kirk is a Ghanaian software engineer, but he is currently the chief technical officer at SafeBorder, a mobility company based in Kampala in Uganda. Kirk, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, it's been a while. I think the last time we met was in Accra, in Ghana, about two, almost two years ago. Cause... Yeah, I think it's almost yeah. two years ago. Yeah, Dev Congress meetup. Yep, Dev Congress meetup. Great, great to have you on the show. Um, so tell us about yourself. Um, so yeah, I'm a software developer. Uh, so I've been doing software for, I think for now, um, about seven years now, actively, professionally. Um, so, um, I started doing software in, from university. Uh, so I, I knew I, I, after college, I realized I love computers, uh, but I didn't know anything about software development. And so I entered the university and I decided to do computer science. Um, so when I discovered software engineering, uh, I, I fell in love with it. So that was the only thing I, I knew and I wanted to really do. So uh, so that's what I've been doing since then. Uh, and I started by running my own startups back in school. Um, and then currently, uh, as you introduced uh, in the beginning, I'm the CTO of Safe Border Mobility Company uh, based in, uh, in Kampala. But we have other offices as well. Um, and yeah, I think that's it about me. <laughs> Great. So you, you described yourself as a software developer. Um, some people would say they are software engineers. Is that an important distinction to you? Do you see a big difference between a software developer and a software engineer or is it just all the same? I think it's just all the same. It's just, I mostly <laughs> I say it's, it's a play on words. I mean... If you want to yeah. sound so smart, if I apply for, yep. for those who work, uh, what's the name, how do you call it, in different countries and have to get uh, visa and co, uh, work permits, I think you rather go with software engineer. Yeah, it sounds more impressive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. So you're currently the, the CTO at Safe Border, uh, which means you lead the engineering team. Can you tell us more about Safe Border? Um, so uh, Safe Border is... Uh, a mobility uh, company based in started in uh, Kampala. Uh, currently, we are in Kampala, uh, in Nairobi, and planning to expand to other cities uh, across uh, different uh, countries in Africa. But we deal in only motorcycles, so in East Africa or maybe let me say Kampala in, in Nairobi they call it Boda. So. So that's where the name came from. It's a play on the word Boda Boda, which how uh, that's how they call bikes, uh, the motorcycle taxi, which is the most popular transport uh, here in the city, in Kampala, or Uganda um, as a whole, if I may say that. Uh, so mm-hmm. Save Boda basically came just to, uh, started on a, like, to make it safer because it's the most uh, used, but Kind of at some points, the most dangerous form of transportation in the country, because uh, people uh, people don't wear helmets, 
people there's no nothing there's nothing safe about it they're regular border border because they jump traffic they don't respect traffic uh, regulations so safe border came to make it more safe so by training uh, so we train the border 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 guys and then they become safe borders they go through training we provide passenger helmets for them with hair nets uh, they go through first aid training like different form of uh, training just to be safe and to respect uh, traffic uh, regulations as well so that's uh, what we do as safe border and we started as um, basically just that and as a service with no application nothing we just a call center if you want a safe a safer option you call the call center and we give you one uh, at some point we decided to build an app uh, to automate uh, the, the process and that's what happened and that's where we are currently and and we are all over the city uh, if you come to uh, Kampala you see we, the orange they are very orange you see them in the all over the city in Kampala in Nairobi as well um, mm-hmm. so, so that's uh, safe border so so your your main value proposition there is safety yes so safety and then also i see also on top of that i mean it's the livelihood of uh, most of these guys that's what they do and but then we we've actually beyond safety we try to uh make it easier f- for everyone as well uh, so uh, let's say train we train the border uh, the safe borders in terms of uh fintech like things to, to do how to spend their money, how to save their money, and also help them get access to things like loans, insurance, uh, and things your regular uh, border border or bike rider will never know. So we give them other values apart from just the safety. On top of that, we try to always come up with uh, other ways of improving their livelihood. Mm-hmm. That that's quite impressive, and it's a it's part of a trend that I'm noticing where. You provide a core service, but then you start to learn more and more about your customers and you realize all the other opportunities. You mentioned loans, for example. That's not something people would think of when they think of a mobility company. You know. Very interesting. Uh, you're currently the city of at Safe Border. And I'm wondering, how did you get there? Because I remember the last time we met, you were in Ghana as a software engineer. And then one day I just heard you're now in Uganda. What, what was that process like? What happened there? So uh, I think at some point, uh, almost three years ago, so I decided uh, to. So before I joined Safe Border, I've never been a, a full time employee of any company. So either I'm running my own startup or uh, consultancy, like doing consultancy work uh, or independent contracting for other companies. So uh, I had this startup, uh, Abaki. So we were running a backy and then at some point, um, different things happened. We decided to just, okay, at this point, uh, it's not really working to just shut it down. How did you decide that the the startup that you were working on is not is no longer viable, that you wanted to move on? What, what went into that decision process? What we were trying to really do was, we were basically like engineers trying to build software and that's all we know. That's what we wanted to do. So our it's it's a, Actually, a technical startup. What we were, the, our value proposition is, we want to build solutions for people who have ideas and they have some funding or they have some money, but they don't have, uh, they can't afford to uh, hire engineers or get good engineers to build the product for them. So we come in, we build the product for you, and then uh, maybe help you hire people to continue building the product for you. But at some point, we realize, okay, it's 
not just, I mean, the hard truth is not just about uh, writing code or being a good engineer, the business aspect of it, uh, learning to work with other people, learning to talk to people, learning to do other things. So that aspect of it uh, didn't really work well. So we had a client and we had so many issues and, you know, what we were really thinking is, okay, we want to build the software and don't, don't disturb us that much. All we were trying to do is build a software for you. You handle your business. But there are so many things we realize, okay, it's, it's not as we expected. It's not how people see things. And, and that wasn't, we, we just basically sat down, evaluated uh, what we are doing and realized, okay, this is what we are lacking. Uh, maybe we might give it a go at some point, but at this point in time, let's just see and work with other companies and see um, what they offer or what are the other things they do uh, so we can maybe at some point in time, maybe in the future, if you want to do this, we can we, we might have learned a lot, especially for me, as I said, I've never worked full time for any other company. I see. Okay. So you decided that that wasn't worth it. And so what did you move on to next? So, I mean, after that, we just, that's when I started looking for a job. So uh, basically, I was looking elsewhere. Just uh, so I went, updated my Angelis profile, my LinkedIn profile, uh, updated my CV, and started looking for a job. So um, whilst there, the then, the then product manager, at Save Buddha, reach out to me on Angel List. Uh, saw my profile and reached out to me. So we, we started talking. So, uh, and then I, I like the idea. I've seen them before on CNN like some time ago, but I didn't really pay that very much attention to it. So I like the idea. He pitched it to me. So I went to the interview process and within two weeks, uh, I was in Kampala. Yes, okay, let me just give this a go. So that's when I moved. Later on, we're going to talk more about your transition and then how difficult or easy it was. But I'm I'm curious, as a CTO, what are your main responsibilities? So what's your typical day like? So, I mean, as a CTO, I have, uh, basically what I do is to make sure uh, I have a team that is uh, good, technically good enough uh, to deliver. So, the, um, and then make sure I find the best, uh, I help get the best talent as well uh, for the company and also have make help in making the decisions on how, so how we are going to build. Uh, so when we come up with features, products to build, how we are going to go about it, what are the best people to build these products and also the operational and the culture aspect of it. It's like, okay, we are, we are a very diverse team. So how do they work together? How do I have to make sure they have uh, whatever they need. People respect each other. People understand what they need to do as engineers. Uh, so my day-to-day uh, kind of spend it uh, mostly attending, let's say, uh, meetings. I don't, uh, even though I try as much as possible to reduce the number of meetings I attend, but I have to have go for management meetings, explains or try to always explain how we are building uh, features or products and what is lacking, what we need, and the direction of the company, whether uh, it's feasible, things, some things are feasible, uh, what we need to do in terms of um, 
the engineering aspect of it, how we are going to do that, like making those decisions and also constantly uh, talking, with, uh, having conversations with the team and uh, like making them know, okay, this is what you need to build and this is how you have to go about it. And if there's a decision that needs to be made, you know, sometimes people have different opinions on what needs to be built. I, I should be in the position to say, okay, you know what, let's go with this. And because a decision needs to be made. And also leadership of the team, making sure that every team has uh, have the right uh, leadership and it's very structured. Mm-hmm. So before the before we started recording, you were telling me that uh, you have three engineering offices. So one in Kampala, one in um, Nairobi, and then one in Barcelona in Spain. Yes. Are there, so you are the CTO for all these three offices, right? Yes. Are there any specific challenges that come with having to manage uh, two extra locations? So having to manage a remote team? Definitely challenges. So uh, one is uh, the, I mean, the, the distance. I mean, you don't have everyone in a room. So actually we, the, we grew up to, we ended up having, we started with only Kampala office, which had only, um, at some point, had only six engineers, six or seven engineers. And then within the last five, like let me say five to four months, we've actually uh, increased the team, the size of the team from those six engineers to over 30 engineers now. So that's when we, open up we had those uh, spaces the Nairobi space and then the uh, the Spanish uh, one in Barcelona yeah the the challenge as I said first I mean you have the communication you have to make sure you have good teams can communicate uh, with each other because they are cross-functional teams um, they don't we don't have offices working on different things uh, so you have you have teams that span across all the uh, three offices and they need to have communicate every day. And also, I need to communicate with people, and you don't see people. You you, you need to be in that constant. You have to make sure they are mostly aligned with uh, the business because the main, the headquarters of the business, uh, like the main thing is in Kampala. We have uh, we are in Nairobi as well, but you can imagine Barcelona. They don't know uh, how this works, and you you have to. They have to, it has to be explained to most of them on what, uh, what goes into this and why we are building this or like to understand the, con- to give them more context. And also uh, just apart from if, if they being different location, one thing is these are people coming from different countries, very different countries, uh, different backgrounds. Uh, so the differences in terms of culture, like people needing, uh, people need to understand each other because it's, it's not like we have only Ugandans in a team or, people from Nairobi or people from, we have people from different uh, countries like Colombia, Venezuela, uh, you mentioned it, Spain. We have different people uh, from different backgrounds and you have to always make sure people don't uh, misinterpret what uh, others are saying, contest. Um, so those are some of the challenges. Uh, it's still very early stage and we are trying as much as possible to make sure we bridge some of these uh, uh, gaps and people, so that people can work together as smoothly as uh, possible. 
Cool. So as a software engineer myself, I am very curious, what is the technology stack at SafeBorder? What technologies do you use? So um, so to give you a history of SafeBorder a bit, and then you can know the stack. So uh, just about like some, I think around 2016, ending of 2016, that's when we decided to kind of automate uh, everything. That's when I joined the company as well. So I came to Kampala on Saturday. And Monday when I went to work, so Silvoda also hired another consultant to to also come in uh, to help. The, that's the product manager. So I met him on Monday. We decided, okay, you know what? We are going to uh, build this app. Uh, within two weeks, we are going to build the apps with the back end and everything and make it work. So what are the... So we, there's a team. So we look for the computer, like what can the team do? What can they use so that they can maintain this? So that's uh, we decided, okay, we are going to build the backend in PHP. Uh, we are going to the database in MongoDB. And and that's it. But the, for the apps, I was like, okay, no, I can do, I, I have been doing native apps all the time. So like we can build those in native apps. So those are just two Android apps, one for the passenger, one for the uh, the drivers. Or we call them sailboarders. So, uh, so we just embarked on that journey, and in two weeks, we had the app. On the third week, it was we started testing it. Uh, the fourth week, we we gave it to some people. Went to Alpha, Beta, and then that's when it started. Um, and then at some points, uh, end of the year, after the end of the year, move the database. We did the migration of the database from. MongoDB movie to Postgres. And Haha, my favorite. <laughs> yeah, wh- why though? I think okay. I think people could learn from this transition. Why why did you think uh Postgres was more appropriate than MongoDB? Okay. I mean, of course, in the beginning when we started, uh, we didn't want to deal with okay, schema changes, doing migrations and everything. So I mean where everything was going into MongoDB. We are just dumping everything in MongoDB. And at some point we started using it as a as see a relational database and like okay this is not what we are supposed to be doing and we started having some issues as well because uh we couldn't there are some certain things that we can easily do in a relational database like postgres than mongodb like uh in terms of some checks relations and we needed those and some transactions uh we needed those to happen at some point yes we lost things happen and we lose some data not very massive but we did have those issues. And also, uh, then things started growing and then we needed to have uh, BI tools or to run uh, analytics and stuff on the things we are doing. We generate a lot of data. So, and then we have to do ETL pipelines and it was like, okay, we can actually, we don't, it's just very too early to start going having these issues. So let's just move away from uh, MongoDB and go to Postgres. Uh, to avoid having to do these ETL pipelines and everything. But we still use uh, MongoDB uh, for our anything that has to do with our geo queries and location of data and indexing. We use uh, MongoDB for just that. Um, yeah, that's it about uh, how we move from MongoDB to Postgres. Uh, it's been very good so far. And so from that, then uh, as things started growing, and then we, we went very lean as well. So within that, we said, okay, we are not going to build our own, having to 
have any infrastructure, anything like the our servers and anything. So we all we do is just deploy everything on Heroku. So Heroku deploy everything on Heroku. Yeah. So very convenient. Yeah, very convenient. <laughs> yep. I mean, we didn't have time to do anything. So that's how it has been running. And then uh, things started growing. So we had to start doing some optimizations. And uh, th- I mean, most of them, I mean, all you needed to do was just cache it. Uh, add a cache, have a very good caching layer. So cache uh, heavily with Redis. And also start using Elasticsearch to index, uh, to do some indexing uh, as well. I did a lot of Elysia, and so I'm very biased towards Elysia and uh, Elang. So um, I started for our internal tools, our internal dashboards, they were built in uh, Elysia. So, and then uh, at that point, I started hiring, started hiring an Elysia developer. We hired one, and then he started working on those uh, systems internally. And then we, at this point, we started at some point, we started building other services. So in Elysia, so we just moved into microservices uh, architecture. What attracted you to Elixir? Yes. So what attracted me to Elysia? So for me, I like, uh, before I had so much time to think out with things, to so learn uh, interesting languages. So started by learning, doing uh, uh, Lisp and did ver- uh, different variants of Lyft like Scheme and learned Haskell. Uh, I was very much interested in functional programming languages. And then I read about Erlang before, but never really learned it. And then, then I, meant, uh, I met my former co-founder, uh, Yao. And then he told me about, so he has been doing Erlang and he told me about Elysia. That time Elysia uh, is selling zero points, not version one has not even yet been released yet. So we met, we talked about it, and I started tinkering uh, around with it, and I really like it. So uh, very straightforward, um, very good language. You can build things with it, and I'm very happy with it. And just read a lot about Erlang, what it can do. That's how I fell in love with uh, Elysia. Actually, it really resonates with me. I see. So Elixir is not a very popular language, right? How were you able to hire for that language being in Kampala? Okay. I mean, it's still, it's still, it's still a challenge. Like, that's the truth. But I got big, we got people, let me say, who also heard about Elysia. I mean, they've not, we, we, we took a chance. They've not built any production systems in Elysia to, uh, or have any huge track record using Elysia in production, but they are just people who also learned Elysia and started doing playing around with it and building their own personal projects or other minor systems in it. So that's where we started from uh, using it to. Uh, we started using it to build tools in house, not our production system. But then at some point, uh, we hired. We, we got the opportunity to hire people who have been building systems in Erlang, Elysia for uh, very like senior developers who have been doing that. Uh, not in Kampala, uh, by the way. So we, we, we got some consultants on board to help the team as well. So uh, that's how we went uh, about it. I see. Is, is Elysia one of the reasons why you have an office in Barcelona? No. 
So it's actually no. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just curious. <laughs> no. No, for us it's just uh, so within. Um, we wanted to hire as much as possible to, uh, and quickly as possible. At some point, mm-hmm. uh, when we were trying to scale the engineering team, uh, team it was uh, a bit difficult getting, uh, getting talent from the region. Uh, so we were saying, okay, we are thinking, okay, uh, we need to actually get probably another office uh, uh, in Europe or wherever it is because we're not ready to uh, join the remote working uh, train yet so and then we happen to get uh, someone from uh, we got a pm our pm is from barcelona uh, so we just spoke to him he had some he knew some developers that he was working with uh, in his previous company like okay great why don't we just hire them and then they work for us so we started with them then we just added other developers uh, interesting yeah in that space as well Cool. So I just remembered that when you joined Safe Border, you joined as a senior software engineer, not as a CTO. Yes. How how did you become the CTO? I just told them, I'm, I mean, either you make me the CTO or I leave. I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Interesting. Yeah. So, so, so did well, you get... No, no, I didn't did... do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that would have been... Oh my god! Yeah. Okay, so what's the real story? <laughs> so, the story is so. Uh, so at uh, at some point, uh, I was actually I did things. I joined, I joined together with uh, another consultant, uh, but he left. Uh, he's only spent one month here. So when he left, pretty much I was doing the work of a CTO, so, trying to having to manage the team and hire people and do all that work. So then they did okay, then. Um, the business decided, okay, why don't we just be the interim CTO uh, as we try mm-hmm. to... Make it official. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I became the um, CTO. Um, I mean, it wasn't a straightforward decision for me because, you know, I have to... I, I love coding and I don't want mm-hmm. to, you know, do any management stuff. Uh, in the. I mean, I've done a bit before, but I didn't... I wasn't really ready to do it full-time. So... I was shared that I was sharing the responsibility with the product uh, manager at the time. So he was doing um, most of the management of the team. All I was doing is making technical decisions. So people's management, I wasn't doing that really uh, until recently when I'm comfortable and okay, knew, uh, how, uh, figured out how to, you know, manage, juggle things around. Then that's when I became the full-time CTO. I see. Um, so what? how did you learn to manage people? So that I pretty much had the same uh, story as yours. I found myself doing most of the things that a CTO would do. And then my boss just decided, okay, I think we should make it official. So I, I started leading, leading the team in Ghana. But then I always had this fear about managing people. And I don't think I was very good at it at the time. Um, since you are doing it currently, I'm wondering what, what did you have to learn? Do you have any book recommendations, articles for people who are currently very technical or who are slowly moving to a management position like a CTO, for example? Oh, okay. So I mean, for me, uh, the good thing is um, I had a very close-knit team. I mean, my team was 
very good in terms of how they work together. Uh, you don't have to always deal with these issues of you know people's issues, people issues all the time. But what I also did, I have very supportive uh, uh, senior managers like the CEOs, are very supportive. Like so, give you all the resources you need. Who you, whoever you want to talk to, if you want to talk to some CTO, uh, go to places like go to other companies and have a conversation with people who have been doing this. So I, I have access to all that. So those were what uh, I was doing. So practically learning from people and also uh, had people that I could talk to who have been leading teams who were CTOs. Uh, I had access to all those pe- people that I could talk to them anytime. I needed some advice. Uh, so that has been very helpful, especially uh, for me to be able to have all those uh, resources uh, at my exposure. So I use them uh, whenever I want to. And also, you know, just um, try to read about uh, how to manage people as well. So those were some of the things. But the most helpful ones for me were like the pra- talking to people. The, those, prat- those were very practical uh, for me. Cool. Let's talk about Uganda. So you are a Ghanaian who moved to Uganda. I know uh, East Africa and West Africa can sometimes be like very different. So tell me more about that transition. You being a Ghanaian moving to Kampala, what were some of the similarities with West Africa and, and what were some of the things that were more difficult to adjust to? So um, for... For Uganda and Ghana, that's, I mean, they are pretty much similar. So people are more, I mean, yes, Ugandans are more laid back, but it's kind of like uh, that vibe you feel like in Ghana. I mean, Ghana people are also laid back, but Uganda is more laid back. But, and then the people are very friendly, very open, always uh, willing to help you. And and that has been, for me, so I never really had any challenge uh, actually transitioning, uh, staying here. So in fact, the first when I moved here, it was I think two months close to uh, uh, Christmas or New Year, but I didn't go home. I stayed here during the Christmas and New Year. Um, so that's how well I actually uh, liked it here. Um, they are very we, we call, they call Uganda the, the the party center of Africa. They can real party like you know. Wow! Like yes, they know how to have fun. They know how to like. But then you see people at work, and you wonder how they do this. Monday morning, you see people like early Monday morning. People just you know came out of the bar, the club. But then you see them at work, working serious. Like those are some of the things you find about it uh, here, which is like wow. not very common in Ghana. Those in, in GH you won't really find that, you know. Uh, and they're very. They can be very open at times. I mean, the challenges or the differences. I can't speak pigeon. <laughs> oh, oh, so okay. Uganda has its own. They have their own pigeon. What what is it called? No, not really. They don't really. They just have their own language, like they. So they speak Luganda mostly in the capital. Ah, I see. So in the capital, okay. mostly they speak. I mean, of course, they have some jargons, but they don't really have a pigeon. So okay, yeah, they have. A, it's a very British town. <laughs> like they <try> to. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what you meant is you you you, you can't speak Ghanaian pigeon. You yes, missed yes. that. Yeah, yeah my ah, Ghanaian okay. pigeon. I, I misunderstood you. <laughs> yeah, sorry, my Ghanaian pigeon. Yeah. 
Yeah. I see. Yeah. Okay. So, and then, of course, the food. Uh, I, I mean, I got used to it over time. There's, they hate like spice. They don't. They don't like. I mean, like how West Africa food is spicy. There's yep. not, not at all, not. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so, so that's one thing I heard about Kenya, and I was wondering if it was the same in Uganda, because I think it's the same in Kenya. The their food is not like hot, spicy, hot. No, no, they won't. Yeah, they won't even even you know you know that you know there's I was in it, uh, the Zinga, uh, the KFC chicken, like the way for a typical, let's say if you're in West Africa, that's not spice, that's not really hot, but for them mm-hmm. that's that's very hot. Wow, <laughs> they can't eat that. Most people cannot eat that. So, wow. I mean, those are some of the differences. Yeah. And what what some of the main food in in Uganda? Oh, so Matoki. So they have the food. As for food, you give it to them. They have food. They wow. Have food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's very affordable. So, uh, so their main food like is they they have Matoki, which is uh plantain i mean, just call it plantain they call it banana but it's just they have different varieties of banana or plantain and it's everywhere so the one they call, they call it matoki which is they pound it it's uh so the green one they boil it and pound it and then they eat it uh, and they like boiling food they don't like frying food so so it's more i mean their foods are more if you compare it to the way we cook it's more healthy like they have, mm. yeah and so they have that and different food like that you can i mean mostly it's just the matoki that which people really like a lot do you do you have access to Ghanaian food in kampala oh yeah we have a, we have one restaurant which try to cook 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 Ghanaian food west african food it's called mama shanti lucky you <laughs> like that's that's one of the things that i miss the most uh one of the most frustrating parts of my experience here in Estonia is I do not have access to like African food or more specifically Ghanaian food. So I have to wait until I travel <laughs> before I can eat Ghanaian food. So when I go to Amsterdam, last time I was in Amsterdam, I made sure to go to a Ghanaian restaurant. Like if I go somewhere, I know there's a an African community. One of the first things that I do is go and look for African food or West African food more specifically. So yeah, I was in I was in New York, I think three weeks ago, and I made my friends take me to there's a Ghanaian, there's a I think it's a Ghanaian, but generally West African restaurant called uh Accra Accra restaurant, I think. Yeah. So I I, I made sure I went there. I had some banku. I hadn't had banku since I left Ghana, man. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The, yep. The, good, the good thing about here is you can get all the raw materials, like to prepare your local food that you want. Oh, I see. Yes. So when nice. I came, and then the nice thing is, so when I came, so I really wanted my guy. So I went to the market. They have a very one big market, um, which I went to, and I discovered a West African shop which sells like, like the things you can think of, like a goosey, like all the West African ingredients for nice. the West African food that you can find. Yeah, ingredient you can find, and then. That's how, oh, okay, I'm like, okay, then I can cook it anytime I want. I can prepare blanco. I can, the only thing maybe, the things, let's say if I go home, sometimes I like Gary, if I travel back home, I bring Gary. Like, sometimes I feel like, okay, I want to eat Gary, then I have it. 
because they don't have it here. Nice. So what's the Ugandan tech ecosystem like? What, what are some of the, apart from you, and uh, so I, I interviewed someone from ChapChap last time. So apart from those two companies, what, what are some of the other big companies, tech companies in Uganda? Oh, Andela is here. Andela is not far from our, uh, our office. So Oh, I see. Yeah. So, nice. Uh, yeah, Andela is not far from our office. They're actually our business clients. Um, and then we have some uh, other companies uh, as well. I know we have some Norwegian company, which uh, does actually just have developers here um, in Norway who uh, have developments, but I just forgot their name. Uh, we have some other ones, but not like some of them are your typical uh, traditional tech companies that works, do stuff for banks uh, and all those financial institutions, like the things you uh, find in Ghana as well. So, but then it's, it's, it's not a very vibrant uh, tech, uh, tech ecosystem. It's still, there's still more to be done in terms of uh, the organization of the, the tech ecosystem. And the companies don't really, like the big companies here, don't do so much, like to maybe uh, collaborate and work on big projects and come together, uh, meetups and stuff. Yeah, we also have one uh, company called Finis, but they are more of a hardware uh, company than a software company. They make solar uh, powered devices uh, for rural communities. So that's how the tech ecosystem is like. Yeah. So I mean, same with us, a company we started doing like things uh, of meetups, like at least every month, and trying to do some mentorship programs. Go to the university, talk to the students. We've started doing those to, uh, you know, just uh, help the tech ecosystem and also, you know, bring good people as well. Do, do you have a community like Dev Congress in Ghana? Uh, no, not, no, no, we don't really have that kind of, I mean, there, there are some uh, spaces like uh, uh, tech apps uh, that are doing quite well. Like we have something like Outboss, Venture Labs, um, that's yeah, no, they and they have some startups who are also trying to build products, they organize competitions, they do things as well. I mean, it's it's a country which other companies you know try to maybe come, even uh, wasn't Toxworks was here before some years ago, but then eventually they left. I see, cool. Um, so there was a there was a there was a lot of talk about a social media tax or internet tax introduced, I think, last year. Yep. Uh, did that affect your business in any way? Did that affect Safe, safe Border? Yeah, I would say yes. So, uh, OTT. So, <laughs> so, OTT, so the social media taxes, I mean, you have to, to access any social media platform, you have to pay tax, and then it affects uh, push notifications as well. So, oh, interesting. Yes. I did not know yes. about that. Yes. So it's a first push notifications as well. It's a hit or miss situation. Sometimes it goes through, sometimes it doesn't. So that really impacted. We have to find workarounds. Like, so because we use push notification. Was that an unintended consequence or it was part of what they were trying to achieve? I, th- I mean, the, the aim is to block uh, as much as possible uh, social media platforms. So 
they try to see, I mean, whatever they, however they deliver their messages to you, so block those port up uh, protocols. So, I think yeah, it's just uh, something they try to uh, to do uh, and to have that. So we we had those uh, issues. Uh, so we have to you know always have backup uh, mechanism resort to polling or other other methods. So yeah, that affected. Uh, how we do things or how we engineer stuff, you know. So if you are coming from uh, outside and you don't understand our context, uh, you try to question why are we doing this when there's this, and then but we have to explain to you we have challenges, yeah. And other challenges like you don't even I mean before the OTT the push notification was actually an issue on some networks. They don't you don't get push notifications uh, on their on those networks. So even. Uh, let's say it's and it affects all apps. Let's say if you're using other apps that use push notification to push messages to you, you will not receive push notification unless you're on uh, maybe wi- some Wi-Fi networks mostly, uh, or maybe you're using VPN. Then you might. Interesting. Cool. So what, what are some of uh, some technologies that you've heard about recently that you're very excited about? Elysia. <laughs> <laughs> no, no you've, been, you've been using you've been using Elixir for maybe the past two or three years. So, okay. As, aside from Elixir, what, what else are you excited about? And, and it doesn't have to be a programming language, just anything in general. Yes, yes. So I mean, some of the things I'm excited about. Um, uh, so something like Terraform. Uh, so I've tried uh, Terraform before. It's an application like you want to, instead of doing things on AWS uh, manually, just automate it, and just it's you are programming your uh, infrastructure. So it's it's really interesting, and I've tried that uh, some years ago. Uh, some months back and use it to experiment, build some systems like our monitoring uh, services. And I really like it. And also, um, I like following, like, for languages, I like following, like, not known and let me say, sometimes weird languages. So things like Idris. So Idris is a, 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 like, a type language. So kind of trying to follow it and see, uh, what Idris is, is a purely type-driven uh, development, like, and I follow it to see what they are doing. Um, so, I mean, the, the thing about being, uh, was then someone who just not have a, being yourself and doing your own stuff and having to work for a company and lead teams, you hardly get too excited about new technologies because if you have something that's working, uh, you need to keep it up, make sure it's working. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I do, apart from that, I, mean, I do look at other things and see, okay, uh, what's happening in those uh, spaces and what's now things I'm interested in. My interests have shifted from just maybe looking at anything else to looking at things that affect the work I do. Uh, for languages, I also look at Rust to see, uh, okay, what is Rust doing? What are mm-hmm. the things they are doing? Um, and also look at things that relate to, let's say, geo, uh, anything that is geo-related, like libraries, 
uh, open source projects that have to do with, uh, anything that has to do with location, storing, querying, and uh, all that. So I'm quite excited about uh, those as well. And I'm excited about Finis uh, Live View. So Finis framework is the framework for Elysia, and they have a, mm-hmm. a new uh, feature coming up, which is Live View. So which is uh, kind of you can do with JavaScript uh, oh. and everything. You, 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 people have started experimenting with it. Built people have built games like um, uh, what's the name? Um, Flappy Bird. And purely in the browser without any JavaScript, but just. But is it does it transpile to JavaScript at the end of the day? No, because that's the only language the, the browser no. understands. No, so to what? Just, uh, WebAssembly. So no, so what it does is so wow. it, it just yeah, so it, it uses sockets to just communicate and then uh, with the what so you just write your code in Elysia and then the Finnish framework has a very good uh, uh, sockets. Uh, system and then you know that it's distributed it's highly concurrent so it updates the browser as fast as possible uh, so that's how it works no JavaScript anywhere it doesn't transport like it doesn't com- like there's no JavaScript under the hood or doing anything yeah that's that's very interesting I, I have yeah. to look into that yeah and also last time I was yeah I know what's the name Silent Work uh, used to talk a lot about Svet is that how they call it? Sil- silent work. Who is in, uh, um, in Dev? So silent work in uh, Dev Congress. Um, used to talk a lot about this framework, some JavaScript framework. Called, is this Svelte or how they call it? Svelte, yeah. Yeah. So I I watch a talk on it on their new, and it's very kind of interesting. So I don't do I don't do JavaScript stuff or uh, mostly a backend, uh, but I was just intrigued on what's they are trying to do in that space as well. Cool. I'm just looking up <laughs> Silent Works full name so I can mention Smith, it. Say Andrew Smith. I keep, I keep forgetting Andrew Smith. Andrew okay. Smith Andrew so yeah, so yes. Silent Works is Andrew <laughs> Smith. So he's Silent Works on, on Twitter, he's, but his real name is Andrew Smith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. I can't look at trying to remember the name. <laughs> what next? So what do you do when you're not when you're not writing software? What are your hobbies? When I'm not writing software, you know, sometimes I try to maybe uh, play games or um, do a bit of traveling, not a lot. I mean, trying to travel. A bit of what? Traveling. Trying to see oh, traveling. I see. Yeah. But not so much. I don't, I don't really travel. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do very well, like let's say this year and go to places and, you know, I, I can't be here and not been to all the countries or all the towns and uh, those are the things um, I, I want to uh, do as well. I mean, when I have so much time, when I have so much time. But apart from that, uh, also try to look at other things uh, that are happening apart from just uh, code, like you know, follow uh, other things or other uh, developments, or let's say look at uh, in-part projects. Mm, so I used to work with, let's say, an NGO. Uh, I mean, it's still related to computers, but we're just training kids on what to do, uh, how to, you know, use the computer, basically. It was a mobile school. So sometimes if I get time, uh, whenever I get the time, I try to look at um, 
how I can maybe revive that. So look at other things, other projects or people who are trying to do things like that and how they are going about it. So I try to look at uh, those things I watch, uh, as well or watch series. I'm, a, I'm not a movies person, but when I get time, I watch series or uh, movies, uh, series rather. I see. Which which shows are you currently watching? So uh, currently, of course, I'm watching Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah, oh. like everybody, like <laughs> every sensible person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then I watch uh, Killing Eve uh, as well. So it's a good, sh- really a good show. Uh, is that on Netflix? So Killing Eve, uh, Killing Eve is is a no, it's not a Netflix show. Okay, cool. yeah. So it's not a Netflix show. Uh, so it's actually a uh, no. It's, it's not. It's not Netflix. It's BBC. Yeah, I know it's BBC America. Yes, so BBC America, America. Yes, yeah. So it's a BBC show. So yeah, and then um, also yeah, yes. Watch Netflix as much as I can <laughs> to see what's <laughs> what's there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Those are the things. Like you know, I, I watch things like let's say. Rick and Morty like to sometimes we have fun, like cool. So we are getting to the end of the show. Um, is there anything, any message you want to share with the community? Anything that you're working on that you want to share? This is your time. For me, um uh, having been someone who used to always run my own show and look at what is there, what is trending, and like okay, this is this is the way to build it. And having been in the position of scaling a system. Uh, from uh, like having to scale a system to a certain extent and run it in production and keep it running and very critical systems. Uh, I'll say like, if it works, you, you don't need to go with the fancy stuff. And, you know, when I, when I tell you like the kind of operations we run and then our backend, our major thing is in PHP, you would think, oh, why are you using PHP? But it's, 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 it works. It works. Like we're able to scale that system uh, to a very high extent. I mean, we had a very high growth at some point. We had growth spikes and it, we were still able to scale it and we we're on Heroku. We we're not using any fancy stuff like spin up, uh, was an EC2 containers and orchestration, nothing like containers. No, it, it, it works. So, I mean, I, I know sometimes we, maybe we go to forums and we, we, we talk and we say, okay, yeah, no, this is, this is why we're doing this like this. Use this. Why, why are you not writing a Rask? Why you not using Go? Why you not doing this and that? But in the beginning, to find a market fit, you need to go with something that you can run as fast as possible. Yes, I love Elysia and everything, but I didn't start. We didn't start building. I had opportunities to say, okay, we are going to build this in Elysia. But looking at it, uh, it's not. It it won't be beneficial for the company at that point because I'll basically be the only person writing it. And if things go wrong, uh, that's not uh, advisable. In PHP, it's, it's easy to get PHP developers, people to, you know. So don't read uh, things in forums or go and read some hacker news articles and think, oh, okay, I need to start doing microservices uh, and I need to start using Kubernetes. I need to start doing this. No, uh, Use whatever you find very easy and it works for you. Yep. I, I totally agree. And so there was a message 
Okay, I probably shouldn't say where the message was from, but then there's someone who was trying to figure out how to build microservices. And in my mind, and I didn't want to discourage the person because they seemed like a beginner. I don't know if they are, but they seemed like a beginner. In my mind, I was like, you're gonna you'll go very far and very fast with a monolith. If you're a single person, I'm not sure if you will actually uh, achieve anything or benefit from using a microservice architecture. If, if you're alone and you want to move fast, just do a monolith. And with the monolith, as it grows, then you learn which part you want to uh, modularize and separate from the, from the core application. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, when we had issues, most of the scaling issues is just about caching. Like, you know, it's not about any very complicated thing. You just know where to cache, what to cache and what not to cache and how to rewrite your queries and how to rewrite some of your code at some points to be fast as possible. You know, those fine trainings and make sure you log, like make sure you have a good login and monitoring system. That I can't emphasize enough to, because you need to, you know, look at things when things happen. You know, when I was in a position when we have major issue. Like, I have to write a postmortem. Like, what really happened? Where did the business go down? Uh, where did we have this issue? You know, you have to articulate enough, explain to the business people, write a document for them to understand it. And to be able to do all that, you need systems that monitor your system. Cool. So I think we have reached the end of this interview. Kirk, thank you very much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed this conversation. You're welcome. I'm happy. I have to come to Estonia at some point. Oh, yeah. You're, you're most welcome. I have two couches here for you. <laughs> nice, nice. We have to, at some point, we have to interview you as well on the podcast. Oh, sure. Yeah. So Someday. <laughs> someday, yeah. <laughs> All right, Kirk, enjoy the rest of your evening. Uh, same to you. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. This was another episode of the African Developers Podcast. If you enjoyed it and would like to hear more, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. We are available on Google Podcasts, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and every other podcasting app out there. For any feedback or comment, you can reach us on Twitter at AfroDevPodcast.